Chapter Two, Part Four of A Jewish State by Theodore Herzl, translated by Sylvie Avigdor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Two: The Jewish Question, Part Four. Other classes of dwellings. I described before only working men's dwellings built by themselves and omitted all mention of other classes of dwellings. These I shall now touch upon. The company's architects will build for the poorer class of citizens also, being paid in kind or cash. About a hundred different types of houses will be executed and, of course, repeated. These beautiful types will form part of our propaganda. The soundness of their construction will be guaranteed by the company which will indeed gain nothing by selling them to settlers at a fixed sum. And where will these houses be situated? That will shortly be demonstrated in the description of local groups. Seeing that the company receives, as it were, ground rent and not house rent, it will desire as many architects as possible to build by private contract. This system will introduce luxury which serves many purposes. Luxury encourages arts and industries, paving the way to a future subdivision of large properties. Rich Jews, who are now obliged carefully to secrete their valuables and to hold their dreary banquets behind lowered curtains, will be able to enjoy their possessions in peace over there. If they cooperate in carrying out this immigration scheme, their capital will be rehabilitated there, and will have served to promote an unexampled undertaking. If rich Jews begin to rebuild their mansions in the new settlement, where they are no longer surveyed with envious eyes, it will soon become fashionable to live over there in beautiful modern houses. Some Forms of Realizing Non-Transferable Property the Jewish company is the receiver and administrator of the non-transferable goods of the Jews. Its methods of procedure can be easily imagined in the case of houses and estates, but what methods will it adopt in the transfer of businesses? Here numberless processes may be found practicable, which cannot all be enlarged on in this outline, but none of them will present any great difficulties for in each case the emigrating business proprietor will settle with the company's offices in his district on the most advantageous form of liquidation. This will most easily be arranged in the case of small employers, in whose trades the personal activity of the proprietor is of chief importance, while goods and organization are a secondary consideration. The company will provide a certain field of operation for the immigrant's personal activity, and will substitute a piece of ground with loan of machinery for his goods. Jews are known to adapt themselves with remarkable ease to any form of earning a livelihood, and they will quickly learn to carry on a new industry. In this way a number of small traders will become small landowners. The company will, in fact, be prepared to sustain what appears to be a loss in taking over the transferable property of the poorest immigrants, for it will thereby induce the free cultivation of tracts of land 
which raises the value of adjacent tracts. In a larger business, where goods and organizations equal or even exceed in importance the personal activity of the manager, whose larger connection is also non-transferable, various forms of liquidation are possible. Here comes an opportunity for that inner immigration of Christian citizens into positions vacated by Jews. The departing Jew will not lose his personal business credit, but will carry it with him. The Jewish company will open a current bank account for him, and he can sell the goodwill of his original business or hand it over to the control of managers under the supervision of the company's officials. The managers may rent the business or buy it, paying for it by installments. But the company acts temporarily as trustee for the immigrants in superintending, through its officers and lawyers, the administration of their affairs and seeing to the correct entry of all accounts. If a Jew cannot sell his business, will not entrust it to a proxy, and does not wish to give up its personal management, he may stay where he is. The Jews who stay will be none the worse off, for they will be relieved of the competition of those who leave, and will no longer hear the anti-Semitic cry, no dealing with Jews. If the emigrating business proprietor wishes to carry on his old business in the new country, he can make his arrangements for it from the very commencement. An example will best illustrate my meaning. The firm X carries on a large business in fancy goods. The head of the firm wishes to emigrate. He begins by setting up a branch establishment in his future place of residence and sending out his surplus stock. The first poor settlers will be his first customers. These will be followed by immigrants of a higher class, who require superior goods. X then sends out newer goods, and eventually dispatches his newest. The branch establishment begins to pay while the principal one is still in existence, so that X ends by having two paying business houses. He sells his original business to a Christian, and goes off to manage the new one. Another and greater example. Y and Son are large coal traders with mines and factories of their own. How is so huge and complex a property to be realized? The mines and everything connected with them might, in the first place, be bought up by the state in which they are situated. In the second place, the Jewish company might take them over, paying for them partly in land, partly in cash. A third method might be the conversion of Y and Son to a limited company. A fourth, the continued working of the business under the original proprietors who would return at intervals to inspect their property as foreigners, and such under the protection of law in every civilized state. All these suggestions are carried out daily. A fifth method, and one which might be particularly profitable, I shall merely indicate, because there are at present few and feeble extant examples of its workings, however ready the modern consciousness may be to adopt them. Y and Son might sell their undertaking to the collective body of their employees, who would form a cooperative society, 
and might perhaps pay the requisite sum by means of a government loan, on which there would not be heavy interest to pay. The employees would then gradually pay off the loan, which either the government or the Jewish company, or even Y and Son, would have advanced to them. The Jewish company will be prepared to conduct the transfer of the smallest affairs equally with the largest. While Jewish immigration slowly proceeds, the company remains its great controlling body, which organizes the departure, takes charge of deserted possessions, guarantees the proper conduct of the movement with its own visible and palpable property, and provides permanent security for those who have already settled. Securities of the Company What securities will the company offer that the abandonment of countries will not cause their impoverishment and produce economic crises? I have already mentioned that honest anti-Semites will combine with our officials in controlling the transfer of our estates. But the state revenues might suffer by the loss of a body of taxpayers who, although little appreciated as citizens, are highly valued in finance. The state should therefore receive compensation for this loss. This we offer indirectly by leaving in the country businesses we have built up by means of Jewish shrewdness and Jewish industry, by letting our Christian fellow-citizens move into our evacuated positions, and by thus facilitating the rise of numbers of people to greater prosperity in a manner so peaceable as has never been known before. The French Revolution had a similar result on a small scale, brought about by bloodshed on the guillotine in every province of France and on the battlefields of Europe. Moreover, inherited and acquired rights were destroyed, and cunning buyers only enriched themselves by the purchase of state properties. The Jewish company will offer to the states that fall under its sphere of work direct as well as indirect advantages. It will give governments the first offer of abandoned Jewish property and allow buyers the most favourable conditions. Governments, again, will be able to make use of this extensive appropriation of land for the purpose of social experiments and improvements. The Jewish company will give every assistance to governments and parliaments in their efforts to control and guide the inner migration of Christian citizens. The Jewish company will also pay heavy duties. Its central office will be in London, so as to be under the protection of a power which is not at present anti-Semitic. But the company requires to be officially and publicly supported, and must therefore be in a position to pay taxes. To this end it will establish taxable branch offices everywhere. Further, it will pay double duties on the twofold transfer of goods which it affects even in transactions where the company is really nothing more than a business agency, it will temporarily appear as a purchaser, and will be set down as the momentary possessor in the register of landed property. These are, of course, purely calculable matters. Every place will raise and discuss the question how far the company can go without running any risks of failure and the company itself will consider freely with finance ministers on the various points at issue. 
ministers will recognize the conciliatory spirit of our enterprise, and will consequently offer every facility in their power for the successful achievement of the great undertaking. Further and direct profit will accrue to government from the transport of passengers and goods, and where railways are state property, the returns will be immediately recognizable. Where they are held by companies, the Jewish company will make favorable terms for transport, in the same way as does every transmitter of goods on a large scale. Freight and carriage must be made as cheap as possible for our people, because every traveller will pay his own expenses. The middle classes will travel with Cook's tickets, the poorer classes in immigrant trains. The company might make a good deal by reductions on passengers and goods, but here, as elsewhere, it must adhere to its principle of not trying to raise its receipts to a greater sum than will cover its working expenses. In many places Jews have control over the transport, and the transport industries will be the first needed by the company, and the first to be bought up by it. The original owners of these industries will either enter the company's service, or establish themselves independently over there. The new arrivals will certainly require their assistance, and theirs being a paying profession, which they need and indeed must exercise there to earn a living, numbers of these enterprising citizens will depart. It is unnecessary to describe all the business details of this monster expedition. They must be judiciously evolved out of the original plan by many able and intelligent men. Some of the company's functions. One department of work will create another. For example, the company will introduce manufactures of goods into the settlements, which will, of course, be extremely primitive at their inception. Outer garments, under linen and shoes will be first of all manufactured for our own poor immigrants, who will be provided with new suits of clothing at the various European immigration centres. They will not receive these clothes as arms, which might hurt their pride, but in exchange for old garments. Any loss the company sustains by this transaction being booked as business loss. Those who are absolutely without means will pay off their debt to the company by working overtime at a fair rate of wages. Existing immigration societies will be able to give valuable assistance here, for they will do for the company's colonists what they did before for departing Jews, a good system of cooperation being easily organized by the authorities. The new clothing, even of the poor settlers, will have a symbolic meaning. You are now entering on a new life. The Society of Jews will impress on them the solemnity and gravity of their undertaking by instituting the recital of prayers, popular lectures, instruction on the object of the expedition, directions on the hygienic construction of their new places of residence, and encouragement to work before the departure and during the journey. On their arrival, the immigrants will be welcomed by our chief officials with due solemnity, but without foolish exultation, for the promised land will not yet have been conquered. They will only feel that, poor as they are, they are on land of their own at last.
The clothing industries of the company will, of course, not produce their goods without distinct organization. The Society of Jews will obtain from the local groups an exact estimate of the number, requirement, and date of arrival of the settlers, and will communicate all information in good time to the Jewish company. In this way it will be possible to provide for them with every precaution. Promotion of Industries The duties of the Jewish company and the Society of Jews cannot be kept strictly apart in this outline. These two great bodies will indeed work in unison, the company depending on the moral direction and support of the society, the society again acting only with the material assistance of the company. For example, in the management of the clothing industry the quantity produced will at first be kept down so as to preserve an equilibrium between supply and demand, and wherever the company undertakes the organization of new industries the same precautions will be exercised. But individual enterprise must never be checked by our superior force. We shall only work collectively when the immense difficulties of the task demand common action. We shall, wherever possible, scrupulously respect the rights of the individual. Private property, which is the economic base of independence, will also be encouraged to develop freely. Even our unskilled labourers will work their way up to private proprietorship. The spirit of enterprise must, indeed, be encouraged in every possible way. Organisation of industries will be promoted by a judicious system of duties, by the employment of cheap raw material, and by the institution of a board to collect and publish industrial statistics. But this spirit of enterprise must be wisely encouraged, risky speculation being as far as possible avoided. Every newly established industry must be long previously advertised so as to prevent promoters, who six months later might wish to start a similar business, from preparing for themselves a financial failure. If the company carefully publishes the designs of every new scheme, a knowledge of existing industrial conditions will be obtained by everyone. Promoters will further be able to make use of centralized labor agencies, which will only receive a commission large enough to ensure their continuance. The promoter might, for example, telegraph for five hundred unskilled laborers for three days, three weeks, or three months. The labor agency would then collect these five hundred unskilled laborers from every possible source and dispatch them at once to carry out the agricultural or industrial undertaking. Gangs of workmen will thus be systematically drafted from place to place like a body of troops. These men will, of course, not be sweated, but will work only a seven hours day and, in spite of their change of locality, they will preserve their military organization, work out their term of service, and receive commands, promotions, and pensions. Independent promoters will, of course, be able to obtain their workmen from other sources, but they will not find it easy to do so. The society will be able to prevent the introduction of the sweating system through non-Jewish workmen who would work overtime by boycotting the employers of these by controlling traffic, 
and by various other methods. The seven hours' day must therefore be adhered to, and we shall thus bring our people gradually and without coercion to adopt the normal seven hours' day. End of section 7